Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Life With Ease podcast. In this episode, we're going to sit down with a woman named Lamia Alui. She's an absolute superstar. She spent over 15 years of her career in HR, talent acquisition, and management. Her whole focus has been around workplace performance, morale, and team engagement. And what she likes to do is help individuals understand the uniqueness in each of their dynamics. She does this by putting them through a series of assessments rooted in DISC. This gives you a clear understanding of what are the behavioral characteristics and ideal environments that allow people to thrive. How do they handle things under stress? How do they handle themselves or act or perceive themselves in different environments? These are the things we're going to dive into because this is more important than ever when building virtual teams. We don't know how people are going to perform. We don't know which parts of our team are meant to work remotely or which ones that will thrive better in more closely knit environments with teams right next to each other. So tune into this episode with Lamia where she explains how you can start adapting and adopting new tactics. We're going to teach you how to better receive and give feedback and also how to interpret that feedback. We're going to talk about the Jahari window and the spheres of influence, the key things that you can do to get people to move in the direction that they're meant to that is both for be- that is best for both them and the company. So please tune in this episode is going to be very, very powerful. Lamy is an absolute rock star. So I can't wait for you to get a lot of the information that she's been able to share with us right now. I appreciate you jumping on. This episode is featuring Lamia. She's a certified behavioral consultant that has done some amazing work throughout her career. She's really a purpose-driven person and really a cultural dynamic person that's really important right now, as you just mentioned. And each one of these episodes, we start off with an intro and really a background asking some key questions around what are the challenges that we're facing today? Not just COVID, uh, but also with working remotely as all these dynamic shifts start to take place. And I really want to tone in on those things and from different perspectives. And Lamia, you have a really, really, really unique perspective. And I want to start off by telling us how you got there, what's your background and what's kind of your origin story? Oh my God, that might take a while, but I'll try to give the, the short version. You know the background story, but <laughs> hi everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Like, I'm, I'm really excited to do this with Nate. Like, we do have a lot of conversation and it's always like, we always go past our time. So doing um, this webinar with him is really, um, I'm super excited about it. So quick background. Um, most of my career was in talent acquisition, but I dabbled with operation early on in my career. I worked literally across the world. Um, my home country is Morocco, and I moved to the US um, seven years ago. And this is when I started getting more interested in uh, group dynamics, how to make teams more efficient. Uh, and it stemmed from also the cultural shock that I had when I moved to the US. I come from a Mediterranean culture, so we do speak a lot with our hands. Everyone speaks at once. I mean, it's pretty animated as a culture. And I come here and everything is so different. And it triggered something in my brain where I'm like, what's really going on? I started asking a lot of questions. You know, I always ask a lot of questions uh, just to try to gain their understanding. And I had my first venture and then I... mm, went back home uh, with what would be now my co-founder. She's also my friend. Uh, So Kristen, if you're here and I see that you're here, um, hi. And we started thinking about how can we 
transform workplaces. And therefore we created Credas and we partnered with Ease because it made total sense. Our values are aligned. We care deeply about the same issues, the same things. And here I am today to discuss people and culture. <laughs> yes, we do care deeply about the same things. And one of the things that we focus on is largely virtual teams. Uh, we've done that for, for almost uh, half of a decade now, really understanding virtual team dynamics and how do we capture culture even when that person isn't next to you. And we started diving into different assessments, things like DISC, um, things like you know, cognitive and behavioral assessments that really gave us a deeper understanding um, of people. But I didn't really know how to really take it and, and turn it into the most usable information. And that's really where Rolamian came in. That's why I'm excited to have you um, on, those, on this episode. So before we dive into all of that, can you give us a little bit of a layman's terms explanation of how DISC works and why it's important? Absolutely. So it's one of my favorite tools to use when it comes to Teams Dynamics because you start at the individual level and then you can use that data to actually have an idea about the group dynamics and how it works. So I'm just going to share my screen real quick um, to show people what it would lo um, look like when um, someone take an assessment and here we are. So there are four uh, behavioral dimensions. Usually, can you see my screen? Let's see here. Oh, one second. There you go. Now you can, yeah, go ahead. So there are four behavioral dimensions. Uh, there are dominance, influence, um, stability, and cautiousness. And we all as human beings have those four behavioral dimensions. It's just that we have different primary and secondary dimensions, but we also have combinations. I said earlier that it's one of my favorite tools simply because it shows how unique each person is. Even when there is a shared behavioral pattern, I've administered over, I don't know, like 2000 of these, and I've never seen the same graphs, the one that you're seeing on your screens twice, ever. Um, and I'm sure you're intrigued why you're seeing three different graphs. So I will start with the one in the middle. That's what's called here the stress perception. This is your core behavior, the ingrained responses that you know, and it has to do with, it has been shaped by your beliefs, your education, your background, your personal experiences. That behavior doesn't change unless you're experiencing what we call in life altering event. That would be marriage, divorce, becoming a parent, um, illness, and so on. And even then it won't change drastically. There will be slight um, variants, but the primary and secondary dimension will not change. Now we will move to the one on the left, which is the public perception or the mass. This is how people shift their behavior depending on their environment expectations. It's not necessarily that those expectations are true, but the person thinks that this is what expected in me and that happens to everyone. Just think about it. Take a moment, pause, and think about the way you behave at home with your friends and when you go to work you can literally observe the shift. And finally, the third graph is 
the mirror, which is your self-perception of your own behavior. Now, the thing is, when it comes to behavior, we change it all the time. When I say all the time, you have no idea how often we do that. We shift um, on a regular basis. Now, with each behavioral dimension, there are associated behaviors. So, for example, when it comes to dominance, those are usually people who are very result-driven, purpose-driven. Uh, they're very fast-paced. Uh, I joke about it. It's when the people, when you ask them to do something, they will do it first, then think about how to do it <laughs> or a better way to do it. Then uh, the high I people or the influence people, they're very fast paced as well. The difference from the dominant people is they're people oriented where the dominant people are more task oriented and they're very talkative. Those are people who are naturally great communicators. They're influencing teams. They're the glue that holds the team together. And the S um, stability people are uh, what I call the peacekeepers. Uh, they're great. Those are the type of people usually we find in um, HR. So they're also people oriented a little bit on the slower and when it comes to pace um, than the high I people. And finally, the cautious people or conscious people, depending of the tool that you're um, using or the version of this you're using, are very process oriented, extremely detail oriented. Uh, it's the type of person when you're starting a meeting, they will say, hey, the agenda today will be this, 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 and this. And then to make a decision, think about the people that are in your team. Those are the type of people who will gather as many facts and data before making a decision. And they're also task oriented. So if you think about it from a quadrant perspective, you will have DNI here, S and C here, and they all complement each other. And I can talk about this for days. Oh, no, this is super helpful. And the reason that I, I wanted you to create this uh, kind of understanding is now looking at this, right? We have to think about some of the problems that we're facing right now is we've all been uprooted, right? Some companies were prepared to switch to remote. Some people's homes weren't ready for everyone to be working from home and they got their kids banging on the door in the other room. Like there's so many things to start to happen and that can affect how someone focuses and how they perform, but also it allows you to have a deeper understanding of each individual within your workplace or within your household, but not everybody has these tools in their hands. And some companies do have them, but they don't know how to properly utilize them, right? So if I'm not you and I have this information or if I am uh, using this information as an organization, how do we utilize it to build better teams? I mean, how do we effectively act on this once we do have this in front of us? So first of all, um, when it comes to companies, this type of information is very useful because it gives you an understanding about how people will shift their behavior under stress as individuals, but also as a group. Because what would happen when we're experiencing stress, we revert to our comfort zone, to what we know best which is the core behavior. Those are ingrained responses to the environment. So when we stressed out, we're just, we go back to the natural one. The thing is when it happened, and I'll use this as an example. So this person's natural tendency is that she's a very high S person. She's the people oriented to the core uh, person, but then her coworkers, they know 
the detail-oriented person, because as you can see on the, on the slide here, she pushes down her S dimension and pushes up her C dimension. So people are not used to that at all. She's this person who's, you know, very process-oriented, um, very analytical and all of that. But then under stress, she will revert to the stress perception and no one is prepared for that. So having that understanding beforehand is um, critical because you can provide the right type of support for people. But the most interesting part for me at least is that how the team, the group dynamic shifts also under stress. So um, for example, here, this is um, a group dynamic. So this is a team of about 25 people and in a natural setting, normal setting, what they are, they're mostly comprised of um, people with high D uh, behavioral patterns, but under stress, they become more collaborative. Having that type of understanding is really important because first of all, you're prepared for it. You know what's coming your way. My team, if we're going through um, a rough patch, what would happen is that they will become more collaborative, but also because you can see here that they lack attention to details, some things might fall through the cracks. And you can design policies or processes for just for that type of event when it happens. And what we saw with the COVID-19 situation, no one was prepared. No one has that knowledge, or even if they had it, no one designed processes to support that um, shift and make sure that everyone feels extremely comfortable working from home. Some people are struggling working from home because they do need that interaction. They need that structure that's provided by a work environment going to the office because then they can leave certain things behind them and there's this separation between the personal space and the professional space. Now, your personal space is becoming your professional. You, you're inviting your colleagues to your home and some people are not comfortable sharing where they live for X, Y, Z reason. Um, it's just a very complicated and when you have that type of understanding, it makes it a little bit easier. Um, sometimes even to create work processes that are more adapted to the type of team that you have. We're dealing with people. Uh, we, it's not one size fits at all. It needs to be a lot customized. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And we've encountered that a lot because a lot of what we do is we're bringing virtual team members into um, individuals who work in a physical office space, right? And what will happen is they work in a certain manner that's different than others. A lot of people work remote, don't work based upon how many hours they work, they based upon, work based upon their performance objectives right so a lot of people start to uh, manage people in the wrong way they start to manage them and overlook at them and then and, and over um, micromanage right so how do we un understand that better right so if I'm a remote worker used to maybe the gig economy style of work how do I manage these remote people if I'm now a manager that you know I'm used to being able to see everybody so now when you use technology some people are monitoring people's screens right or they're saying what they're doing. They want them working, you know, eight hours a day, every single minute, you know, or you're stealing company time. Or like, is that the right way to do things? How do you properly manage individuals 
when you're working with different dynamics uh, based upon this? So on the micromanagement part, uh, this is like a high level of uncertainty situation uh, that we're going through. Uh, so people, well, everyone is experiencing a loss of control. And one of the mechanisms for all human beings is whatever we can do to regain that control. And in the work environment, unfortunately, is by controlling what people who work within our team do. So I know, for example, that you cannot attend, if you have a team of 100 people, you cannot personalize to that degree. But you can create certain things that will make them feel very comfortable. And you need to know people. This is why I say it's very important to ask questions. Some people in times like this will need, you know, that you check up, check in with them maybe twice a week, some others twice a month. You need to ask them what works for you. And at the same time, you have to have the group. So just the communication part of it. Um, someone asked me last week because I say, hey, ask people how they prefer to communicate. I'm like, yeah, but I have, I don't know how many people uh, and they're all so different. And they say, okay, ask the question to everyone. There are small details that makes a huge difference. Ask everyone, how do you prefer? Do you prefer a phone call, an email, Zoom, WebEx, whatever? And as a group, you will say, hey, and as the leader of this group, you say, hey, you know what? Most of the people prefer using WebEx. Now, for my one-on-one -on -one interactions with you, we will use your preferred channel. What you did here, which is very simple, it's not complicated, it's not very hard like to put in place, is you ask the question, you listen, you made a decision, but you still attended to the answer they gave you, which is very important for people because they feel empowered and they feel trusted. And when working remotely, it's one of the most, I think, invaluable gift that you can give to your coworkers is trust in them and empowering them. And it doesn't take that much to do, actually. Just ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. And that actually pushes people beyond the problem today is everyone's so focused on the tech, so focused on, all right, now that we're remote, what tools do we need? But they're not focusing on the human component, which is sad, right? And it's almost scary because right now, people have more options than ever, right? So if I want to switch where I work, it's no longer limited based on my geography. It's limited based on the best opportunity that I can get and the best experience I'm going to have in the place that I live. But those two things are no longer associated. It's I can live where it's the best experience and work where it's the best experience also. So we have to focus on that more, right? So now when you're thinking about, you know, non-technical applications to the problem, that should be the greatest focus. So the only way to really get to that goal is to customize the experiences that they have, right? Which is what you were alluding to. So when you do that, you know, how do you know that all right, this person's meant to be remote, but this person's not? I mean, is, are you able to determine that through the assessments to know who's going to be able to perform remote? Yes. So actually, before I answer that question, Nate, um, because you said something about how everyone is hung up on the technology, what should we use, what should we invest in? Uh, I was introduced to a concept by um, a friend of mine. Um, it's Dr. Ali Fenwick. And he was mentioning the psychological infrastructure 
which has been completely left out while dealing with this situation right now. Everyone is, what do you need? Do you need like fiber for the internet? Do you need a new laptop? Do you need camera, lightning? And no one asked the question about like, as a human being, what do you need? Psychologically, what do you need? Emotionally, what do you need? And that's the managers and the leaders job. Actually, I would say leaders, uh, because for me, you lead people and you manage things. That's my uh, take on it. Uh, and it's very important to actually really pay attention to what's going on uh, because everyone is experiencing high levels of stress. Uh, now to the question, who can stay home? Uh, we're working with uh, a partner of ours on an assessment, so it's ready based on, uh, to assess two things, um, collaboration degree and resilience. Some people are just not ready to work uh, from home uh, and definitely there is a huge conversation right now. I know that there are companies like Twitter, Facebook who said, oh, you know, you can work from home and definitely. The thing is some people are not comfortable with that and by making that decision, which is, it has the right intent. It also is based on an assumption that people's personal lives or lives uh, at home are safe for them. And we do, if you don't know, you cannot just go from that assumption. You need to either do assessment or conduct interviews uh, just to make sure that actually this person has, when I say the tools, I'm talking about the emotional ones to stay and work from home for an extended period versus the people who actually need to come back. Not everyone will come back at the same time. It would be very, you know, um, utopist to think that everyone will go back. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, so make people who need to come back first um, go back and then you can. Um, yeah. And I think that that leads into, you know, really understanding what, what diversity and inclusion really means, right? I think a lot of times people put that in just a handbook because it's a box they want to check. There's a lot of box checking that's happening today. And I think the next step of really creating a difference is to understand the dynamics of culture where you said some people's homes may not be safe, right? That's the truth for people in most underprivileged communities, regardless of how intelligent or achieved they are. Some people still live in communities or in households that suffer from things either violence or just, you know, cultural issues within their areas where that work is an escape for them. I mean, I know myself coming from that background, going to school was like the best thing for me because that was my chance to get away from the issues that were happening in my community. So that's the thing that people aren't asking. And a lot of times people are afraid to give that feedback to their leadership out of fear or embarrassment. Um, they're afraid to give feedback in general. So that kind of goes into what we were going to talk about next around how do you properly create an environment that allows for people to feel open and honest about giving feedback without the fear of recourse? Absolutely. So I was extremely surprised. Um, as I mentioned earlier, for people who were not here, I'm, I'm from Morocco. And one of the first things, like when I was applying for jobs, I had to check the ethnicity box. And I'm like, I don't fit anywhere in what was in front of me. And it's, I'm just one person. Uh, and the default 
box was something I couldn't identify with. And it made me feel extremely uncomfortable. And then there was all these initiatives that are most of them unfortunately are failing because as you said, Nate, it's just they're checking the box, but there is no work that's been done. The foundation is not there. Because when I say the foundation, you can have a great initiative um, to hire people from underrepresented groups. Great. Now you hire them, they get in. The processes, the, the institution itself is not designed for them. And I heard it one day. It's like I was hired because I'm diverse, but then I had to fit. When you hire diversity, it's not to make them fit. I prefer honestly the word equity. Uh, you, we need to make the whole process, not only the initiatives to get people in, but everything uh, designed to support equity. That's my take on it. And on the feedback, psychological safety is very important. If, please go ahead, if you just go and type in, you Google feedback, you will have a ton, a ton of content about how to give feedback. There is almost no resources about how to receive and seek feedback, which is one of my favorite quotes is, seek first to understand then to be understood it all starts with understanding others understanding ourselves and then we can convey whatever message we want people to get and just make sure that when you're hiring hire people not for their pedigree but for their values because that helps create a psychologically safe environment. You know that even when things get heated, it's always coming from the right place. People are sharing your values. It will translate in behaviors. One of the most surprising things that I see is you have those values like plastered somewhere uh, in the company. And then I ask a simple question. I'm like, how do you live by those values every day? I'm like, oh, that's a great question. I never thought about it. I'm like, um, it means maybe you want to reconsider <laughs> changing a little bit those values because, uh, or maybe just make sure that there is an alignment and there is an understanding that this value means this type of behaviors. Uh, my interpretation of empathy uh, and the behavior that I will display when it comes to that is not necessarily yours. It's not necessarily someone else. So we need to have that alignment from the get-go. Hire for that. And then usually the rest falls into place. Uh, because when you share values, you know that there is something in common, something that's deep, and you can share it. And the feedback, again, there is no secret. Listen. Uh, and uh, there is something that we, um, and it's in the handout that I sent you, Nate. So there are three, um, three phases or three stages to when we receive feedback, react, reflect, and response. The thing is most people, they skip the reflect part and their response is actually their reaction. So when someone is giving you feedback, take a moment, thank them. Uh, I always, my advice always is 
step out of the situation, especially if it's a feedback that's a little bit harsh. Thank people for that. Step out of the situation, tell them, hey, you know what? I really appreciate your honesty. I would like to think on it. Let's reconvene maybe tomorrow. Take it in, reflect on it. Maybe it's a valid feedback and you need to work on that. Maybe they were having a bad day and then you respond. But as human beings, especially when it comes to something that we're really proud of or something personal, we just skip a whole phase and we, we go to the response. And when leaders do that, they will show that, first of all, they're leading by example, and that will create a, a nice habit. It doesn't take that long to create a habit, actually. It's about two months for an action to become a habit. So in two months, if you are consistently doing that, your team will see it. Uh, but if you're having feedback and you're reacting badly to it, believe me, no one will ever give you that feedback. That is actually much needed because this is how we grow and this is how we learn. Yes, and one thing that we've also uh, learned in some recent studies of ours is we started to dive deeper into chronobiology, right? And understanding uh, inhibitor controls and when they work, right? So there's the owls and the larks of the world and some people's inhibitor controls are high in the morning. And what'll happen is that means the more the analytic work is gonna set in, right? And then they'll hit that essentially that temporal midpoint of that trough. Um, that's when those inhibitor controls are super low. And that's when you need to go pay to walk in nature, go do something that really take your mind away from work. And sometimes people say, oh, I'm just going to skip lunch. I'm going to power through it. But it's actually the worst thing that you can do because you don't allow yourself to actually reboot. And for me, I go to the gym like in the middle of the day because that's when I can get myself back. Um, but then I know after that, the creative tasks that I'm going to do later in the day are going to be amplified because not only are my inhibitor back up but also I'm actually more creative because I've been more influenced by the experiences and the interactions that I've had throughout the day so I know for myself and I make it clear to my team and even my relationship like this is what's helped my relationship immensely is like hey this is how I operate and if you're going to hit me with anything that's like non-analytic or non-objective like do that later in the evening right or, or a certain time so understanding when people work is also just as important as understanding how people work. And it's not easy to find. Uh, we use uh, MCTQ uh, to figure out that. Uh, but those are the things that I think that more companies need to invest in over technology just for technology. Uh, let's invest in things that allow us to really dive into the human behavioral characteristics and performance things that are going to drive changing your business. Because collaboration is the biggest key and that's going to drop your turnover. It's going to increase performance. Uh, and it also leads to something that you showed me yesterday about percentage of people who are happy or performing or things in the workplace. Oh Can God. you dive into that a little bit? Okay, I have to pull up this slide. This is like the first time I saw that I was just, I think I didn't know how to react to it because it was, yeah, it's quite something. <laughs> um, so, okay, here we go. So this is the data before COVID-19. So as you can see, you have 39% of employees. I can share the sources later on uh, because it's consolidated. I'll share everything that we So of employees say that people in their organization don't collaborate enough. They were in the same space, literally. 61% um, of organizations don't understand their workforce potential. 
And finally, 52 of US workers are present, but not engaged or inspired. So on that one, I'll start with the 52%. So 18% are actually actively disengaged. They're looking for another job. They're doing something else while they are in the office or working remotely. 30% are engaged and 52% are there. Their purpose is not, their personal purpose is not necessarily fulfilled. It might be because they're not in the right team. It might be because, okay, I'm totally biased towards teams. So I'll be talking always from the team perspective, <laughs> just saying. Okay. Um, and um, their role is not where they're supposed to be. It's not what they want to do and, what, and whatnot. Now, my uh, biggest challenge is the 61% because if 61% of organizations don't understand their workforce potential, it means that how can you build a culture that fosters performance and success? Uh, if you don't know who are the people that are working with you, how can you build anything that's solid to carry you throughout years or growth? And I work also a lot with startups um, through different incubators. And what I notice is when you start scaling, you need to have that deep understanding or let's say few challenging things would happen along the way. And it's a loss of time, money, some companies won't survive it. Um, and finally, when it comes to collaboration, some companies unfortunately will um, create silos within the company and they will, they're not necessarily doing it on purpose, but the way their organizational design is made kind of, um, I would say it facilitates the fact people won't work together and you know, two brains are better than one um, might as well design processes or structures that will um, make sure actually ensure that there is um, a lot of collaboration instead of putting structures that will create silos within the company. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And the thing that I think about when I hear this is really like how do we build these collaborations? And one of the biggest things that we try to focus on is because none of the people that we employ or that we staff in any other organization we work with, we've ever, we never met any of them, right? But we're doing it effectively. And I think largely it has to do with just taking that core data and seeing what, collecting feedback, right? So if you do have people and you do have this core understanding of the characteristics and then you do say you have one um, anomaly, whether it's positive or negative, you should always look at that anomaly. Man, why is this team outperforming all the others, right? Look at the makeup of say it's five or 10 or 20 people and then duplicate that for that specific task if that's the objective and say, hey, these teams with these specific disk types seem to collaborate more effectively. These teams with these specific disk types sometimes have collisions and negativity. So let's remove those until we figure out the solution. So it's, and then see how that performance either goes up or goes down. But the only way to actually get that is to collect that feedback. And we usually will do that at 50% to the project and then at the completion. And then we do peer reviews. So many times people just get reviewed by their boss. Sorry, it, just, it shouldn't be that way. You should be able to, it can be anonymous, but it, you shouldn't have to be anonymous. You should be able to you know, talk to your boss and say, hey, everything worked really, really great last week. But there's just some things that I would truly believe 
that would help move the company forward if we were to do X. And it's always, it's also the delivery of that message. You know, if you truly believe in X, Y, and Z, it's more so than saying, man, that sucked last week, man. I, I, I can't wait till I find my next job. That's not how you can do that. <laughs> but I think the best way is to, to think of how can we all grow together? Absolutely. So, so on that, it's, I mean, you were talking about feedback. At the end of the day, it always comes back to that. And uh, I want to ask a question to everyone on the call. If you don't mind going to the chat and just a ballpark, how many questions do you think you ask throughout the day? I know I ask a lot, like it's ridiculous how many questions I ask. Um, yeah, I'm curious to see. Someone says 20. Don't be shy, guys. I'm curious. How many questions do you think you guys ask throughout the day? 100. AJ, in general, how many questions do you ask? Can be to your workforce. Okay. Pretty points right there. I'd say okay. personally, man, I think uh, I would probably, I mean, I'm probably on a call every 30 minutes. I'd probably ask about you know, five or six questions, probably almost 100 questions a day, I would say. Great. Being curious is a great thing, AJ. Thank you. I'm the only one who asking questions. Now, the reason why I asked that question is very simple. Now, go back to when you were children and think about how many questions you were asking throughout the day. It's a lot. Actually, children ask about, I think, to 500 questions a day, especially between three and six. There are questions all the time. It's just part of how our brain is wired to learn and grow. But as adults, especially when we are in um, leadership roles, we are supposed to have the answers. But hello, we're also human beings. We, are, we, we cannot have all the answers, to be honest. So whatever we don't know, we need to go and ask and seek. And part of it, because we're working with human beings, is to ask them for their feedback on how we are managing things. How are our interactions with them? What do they need? Mo the most common, I will call it mistake, is we all start from assumptions instead of seeking an answer. We see something and we think, oh, we recognize, we do a lot of pattern matching as human beings. This reminds me vaguely of something so I think I know, and we behave based on that assumption, and we might be, often we're totally off. So just ask questions, seek that feedback. Hey, you know what? Um, I noticed that in this meeting, you were very quiet. Um, what's going on? And make people talk. Uh, and I know that sometimes in the work environment, it's really challenging to get people to talk, especially if they're experiencing something, you know, even remotely at home. Uh, what I found extremely useful is to start by sharing myself what's going on. Like, you know, this week it was really tough. I had this many things to do and I feel a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, what about you? Mm -hmm. But even before I start sharing, there is one of the most powerful questions that 
when a friend asked me that question, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so going to steal that. Before sharing, even though if your intent is to get the other person to share, ask them if they have the mental space for a conversation. Do you have mental space? I would love to talk to you. Do you have mental space? Yes, no. If they say no, it means that your hunch was right and that you saw that was something wrong. And we're like, okay, um, then please, I'm here. If you need anything, just ping me um, and we can discuss it. But you need to ask those questions. I know that it's a work environment, but we're in this together. And um, at the end of the day, it's all about the human element. So it's really important to care about people. When I say care, not to get certain, just genuinely care about them. People can see the difference when you care. And um, sometimes, if you're not generally caring, they will see it as well. And the consequences from that are not necessarily what you want to have in your workplace. <laughs> well, most definitely. And that ties into, you know, you can do a lot of things in, in the workspace and you, you always are trying to achieve the greatest result, but sometimes you can't control everything. And that ties into those spheres of influence. You know, can we kind of dive into the spheres of influence um, and understanding that a little bit better? Because I think that that can help people have a more objective approach to their leadership. Now that we understand those human characteristics, we understand how to collect the right feedback. We also have to understand how we manage our expectations of those outcomes. So I uh, want, want to screen share, maybe show us uh, your interpretation of the well, Actually, I don't have it on this one. So if you don't mind pulling okay. it up on your screen, that would be okay, great. No problem. I'll pull it up right now. Let's see here. Give me two seconds. Super valuable. So I, I, I'm going to start a little bit earlier. Yeah, you start um, talking, and I'll. I'll so the spheres of the spheres of influence is an exercise that I came across a few years ago, and I thought this is a life savior because it helps have a great perspective uh, about what's within your control what you can influence in what's outside of these um zones so i think you can see it right here okay perfect so this exercise is usually i, I do it to check in with myself once a quarter what's within my control things i can influence and everything else now um um, we put this in the handout when you will do it, what you will discover. It's first of all, um, it will help you gain some perspective on how to prioritize things. Because if something is on the outside zone, it would be a waste of time to actually work on it or set it as a priority. It's something that you can work on later, maybe like towards the end of the week. For example, my Fridays usually, what I would do is we have our founders meeting in the morning and then in the afternoon, I'm just catching up. I'm having calls now instead of coffees uh, and having great conversations because I'm learning. And I also, my Fridays are to do things that are not 
in my priorities. My priorities are what's within my control and things that I can influence. Because as leaders, what we need to do is actually uh, have an impact and make a difference, uh, especially when we are in the different roles that we are in. We are in it to make a difference and make things better, uh, either for our community, for our workforce, maybe for the world. I don't know what the other people are doing here, but we all have, we have it in us. The thing is, what actually we have um, within our control is one thing. The only thing we have control over is ourselves, our behaviors, our words, our actions. This is what we use to influence our environment. So I invite you, um, when you do this exercise, please feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. But when I did this exercise the first time, it made me realize, oh, actually the only thing I can control is myself. Um, and this is great because it's also empowering to know that we have that power in us to make the change. And it's great. So this is the reason why I included it in the handout. Yes, yeah, so there's gonna be three handouts um, and they're all really, really valuable um, and they're really helpful. And I think maybe we can walk through, you know, when we, give these out for this one. What is the best way to approach uh, this document? I'm sorry? What's the best way to approach using this? So they just fill out the outside uh, with things that are everything else that are outside and how should you use it? So what I would do is start with things that, three things that are within your control. Then, um, three things that you can influence and three things that are outside. This is why I said uh, I do it every quarter because things change as we go. That means the only constant in life is change. Things are ever evolving. So every quarter, what's within your control are things that you can influence and three at each time because whatever you put in there, you can derive action items from it and if you put more than three, it might feel like it's a little bit overwhelming and then you don't get to do it. And there is a whole thing um, cascading behind it. So three things at every time, that mm -hmm. would be great. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's super helpful. And I think that, you know, the next thing is that, you know, I kind of want to close on and then I'll open up some Q&A is, you know, the reason these things are so important is that we want to build uh, an environment in every single business, and especially with us with ease, is that that is, is welcoming, it's inviting, it's inclusive. And inclusion doesn't just have to do with the color of skin or gender. It has to do with the uniqueness inside of each individual. And that's why you can build long-term valuable teams. And I know it's difficult. You know, I know some of us, our startup world founders, you know, there's pressure, other people, investors, et cetera, to just hit go, 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 go but that could destroy your teams if you don't do it the right way. You could actually get more effectiveness out of people by turning them into a culture workshop versus a sweatshop, right? So I think that that's really the approach that we need to have. And also when you're thinking about bringing on um, investors, the same way, you know, where you look at the values of your team members, you should look at the values of your investors or their team members that you're hiring. Because I've built a number of businesses um, in my life and the number one thing that's led to failure has always been that wrong team member that's not the wrong person but the wrong fit for the culture that we have right so you really got to dive into that because without culture you don't really have a long-term business
And I think we need to put a greater emphasis on that. So um, th th this is why I always love talking about a cultural match because an when you hire someone, uh, you need to have a match because again, we're human beings when someone is interviewing for a job, they will maybe say the right things. Um, and this is why I think it's very important in all interviews to include um, behavioral questions to dig a little bit deeper on if the person uh, is actually matching the core values uh, of the team of the company. And again, the example that I gave about the values, that's the question that you can use. In interviews, we've asked, oh, what are your core values? And the interviewees will give you five, six, three, four, a certain number of values. But then have a follow-up question with them. How do you live by them every day? Or what would it look like to live by it? What are the behaviors that you associate? It will give you the little bit like deeper layer of insight. Um, if it's a deep, I mean, core value and something that they're deeply attached to, what if it's just something they said because it sounds good and it's related to the company's values? Yeah, and that's where DISC and these assessments really help, especially when we're constantly interviewing candidates that we want to place with companies is we're not asking them just generalized questions. We're putting them through these assessments that are so deep and like so, and you can't like really cheat them because they're not like right answers, right? I mean, there's some assessments out there you can literally click a, a series of colors and they can get a deeper understanding. Um, so I think it's whichever one you choose, just pick one that is actionable and don't just give them the report after. Right, I think that that's the worst thing you can do. And you can kind of go allude on why not to just give them their report after or just give it to their manager and then we can go into questions. Okay, so uh, I, I'm very particular about that. This is why you need this smile. I, I, I'm shocked when people do that. And so when you use any type of assessments, predictive index, MBTI, DISC, um, Moonshot, there, there is a whole plethora of assessments out there. Whomever you're hiring to conduct the assessment, please tell them that before handing their reports to the people, make sure that they're doing a debrief. Because when you hand a report like that to someone without taking the time to walk them through it, we're human beings. Again, our brain is wired to go for the negative things. That's how we survived throughout all these years. It's because we do have that relationship with negativity, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know. I mean, we're still around. Um, so make sure that they're walking them through and sending the right message. Those assessments are actually a great reminder of people's abilities, not a way to punish them or find what, where they are at fault. And when you hand them that report, they might think that, they might only pay attention to the negative aspects. And then what you have is a team that's not feeling okay. And that will impact their work, which I believe no one wants. We don't, we want people to be 
motivated and happy in the workplace, not someone who's like, oh my God, this is so bad. Like, I don't have the right behavioral dimension. I don't have the right personality type. I don't have the right strength because I don't know, I'm a leader and, um, you know, my strength is listening. Uh, because if there's no one to explain to that person, actually what makes great leaders is their ability to listen. And if their perception is listening is a soft skill, I don't uh, use that term. I call it empowering skills. Um, can you imagine the consequences of handing that right away? Um, yeah. Please make sure that there is a debrief. <laughs> yes, always have a debrief because not everybody understands how to properly interpret those things. And um, you've taught us so much um, you know, over the time that we've worked together and it feels like forever. Um, but now I want to open up to some questions uh, from people that have been on and just listening. I appreciate your time. Uh, any questions you have for, for Lavina? She's done this for so many great companies and I think that there's some insight that she can offer to, to all of you. So feel free to ask some questions. Um, now we'll answer anything you have. No questions yet? No, no questions. I think I have one actually. Uh, we talked about the Jahari window. Um, that's one of the handouts we're going to give out. So we're going to give out feedback handout. We're going to give out the spheres of influence and Jahari window. Can we talk a little bit about what that is and how people can use it once we give that out? I'm sorry, Nate. You the, um, the Jahari window worksheet. Um, yeah. How can how can they utilize that? So actually, there are parts that they will um, fill, and parts they can ask someone they trust. Because our perception, as we saw earlier, our perception of ourselves can be a tiny bit. Oh, thank you. So in the Juhari window, it's a great tool for understanding and developing both self-awareness and team awareness. Uh, you have what you know about yourself and also known to others, which is the public side. And that can be behavior or personality. And this is the um, public part, uh, what you and others know about yourself. Then you have the mask, which is you share or hide, depending on, again, it's related to how we shift our behaviors. Uh, it's often known to yourself, but it's unknown to others. And then there is the blind spots, which is, um, People know about you, and this is why you need to seek feedback, by the way. Sometimes people see things we don't see, or they are more attuned to uh, what I call, uh, there are parts of us we're not in touch with, but some people actually see it. So this is why we need to seek feedback. And finally, there's the unconscious, which is no one has uh, an idea about, uh, not you, not the other people. And it's just doing that exercise uh, might help you, especially when it comes to the blind spot, becoming aware of um, behaviors you're displaying or things that you're saying um, that you're not aware of and then correct it if it needs to be corrected or keep doing it if it's great. So that's yes. the goal. And you have down the definition of the different um, areas of the quadrant. Mm -hmm. So it'll break it all down and it's just that you can all start using 
uh, in your businesses and the cultures you're building. And it's just really important because right now, like we said, we lack that visibility um, and we don't have the ability to see everybody face to face. So the deeper understanding of people is now more important than ever. Uh, there's no way you're going to be able to keep your employees. There's no way you're going to be able to build your teams effectively if you don't take this effort because you can't just go step into their office or see how they're interacting in the office. Danita uh, has a question. I've done the disk assessment. How did you find out what happens with stress or the mirroring for each person? Uh, so, Benita, do you mean in uh, the graphs that I, there are different variants, and I hope that this will answer your question. If not, please feel free to just um, clarify it. There are different versions of the disk assessment. So you have the disk assessment. The version that I use is one of the first ones. Um, and you have the disk insights, if I'm correct, my memory serves me well. And they're all different. So you will have disk assessment. They will provide you just with the self-perception. Some others, they will give you just the core behavior. And some will give you just the mask or public behavior. I like using this one. This is what we use at Credas for our clients. Just first, because it gives us the whole overview of everything. Uh, and then it also helps us consolidate from a group dynamics. Uh, so the second graph that I showed, it's a team and it was each of the three graphs that has been consolidated for the whole team. Um, so it's a very, just a version of this that's pretty complete. And I'm happy to use it. Um, gives as many details as possible. Benita, can you please let me know if that answers your question? That's helpful. Okay, great. If you have any other questions for me, you can always ask me. Um, all right, well, I appreciate everyone. If you don't have any other questions, um, you know, we're gonna do more of these. We have a lot of awesome guests. The next one's gonna be around um, diversity and inclusion from a pretty iconic person. Um, and I will share that person next week. Uh, we just wanna keep diving into these conversations. And this is things that are most important to us and it's what's helping us build better businesses, especially in this chaotic time. So thank you everybody for listening in. And